We're going to be in Second Chronicles 21 and uh, 22 today. So <clears throat> we're getting close to the end of our study in the kings of Israel and Judah. Um, and just thought I'd let you know that. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can look into your word. And we ask now that as we study some pretty evil people, that we would learn lessons even from them, things that you want us to know. And so we ask for your guidance this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you did not get a, an email or a text about service, first uh, Sunday school being canceled and only having second service, that's my fault and I apologize for that. Um, we will try to update everything, but if you let us know for sure that you want to be on those lists, we'll make sure you're on them now. One thing, if you get on the text list, it means that any text that goes out to the whole church, maybe one that doesn't have a whole lot to do with you, may come through. If you tell it to stop, then you're off the list again automatically. So we've had people say, well, I didn't get the text. Well, you know, you said you didn't want to be on this part of it. So it's best to just sign up for the for the list and, and uh, let that go where, where it's going to take you. Carol and I knew a family in Colorado. <clears throat> the mother brought her five kids faithfully to church every week. She was involved in Awana and Sunday school. And um, I, I wondered about what was going on there. And eventually I heard the story. Um, when you know, the father used to be part of the whole thing, and he was involved with the family, involved with the church, and all those kinds of things. And then something happened. And one of his children died, and, and there was something else that took place. And all of a sudden, he got so angry and bitter with God that he walked away. And uh, his, his wife would uh, get the kids ready and come to church on Sunday, and he'd drive over to the bar and spend the day there. And that went on for 20 years, uh, 20, 25 years. Um, we met the mom. All of her kids had grown up and uh, were married. Two of them had become missionaries overseas. And uh, in this time frame, um, you know, she was still active and involved in many things at church. And one day her husband, out of the blue, just walked in. And after meeting with him a couple of times, um, he just said, I just, you know, I've wasted my time. I've wasted my life. And I, I just, I walked away and, and I don't want to be away anymore. I would like, like to come back. And he was welcomed, and uh, he joined back, and he was in church and the church family for a period of time before he uh, passed away. But again, I, I sat there and I thought, I, I, his wife and kids, what an amazing testimony that they kept going and kept on uh, being obedient to God. And then I looked at his life and I thought, yes, he came back in the end, but what a waste. That whole big time in the middle, when he could have been a bigger part of his kids' lives and could have been involved more more in church. And as I, <clears throat> as we look at New Year's, many times we think through, what am I going to do? Am I going to do something different? Uh, am I going to keep on doing the stuff I'm doing? I, I'm at the point in my life, I think, where one of the things I want to know is I don't want to do stuff that's a waste of time. I, I really don't. Now, I, I'm not talking about going home watching the Chiefs today. That's not a waste of time. That's a, that's a good investment of time. <laughs> but, but, you know, there are things that we do sometimes where we get to the other side and we go, Man, that was not a whole lot in that, not a whole lot of content. Now, please be, please listen, I'm not saying that there are things that we should, you know, never do, like we shouldn't sit down and watch a movie, or we shouldn't sit down and, and read a book, or look at, look at Facebook, Facebook. I'm just saying we need to always keep in mind that there's more to life than whatever it is that I'm doing right then. 
and make sure that we're trying to be balanced in our in our walk with the Lord. And so, again, as we look at this next year, we can ask ourselves, how do I make sure I don't waste my life this year? It's a good question to ask ourselves, and it'll be different for each person. Um, I'm going to just start with a timeline of kings to catch us up. If you want to just take a quick look here, you've got the you had Saul, and then you had David and Solomon, and then, of course, there's a split, and you have the northern kingdom of Israel, and you have the southern kingdom of Judah, and Jeroboam, and all those people going along. And um, we're up to the point where Jehoshaphat is going to die in this passage today, and Ahab has already passed away. So we're looking at the top, Ahaziah and Joram, who are sons of Ahab's, and then Jehu, who is the person that God sent to do some judgment. And then you've got Jeroboam, Ahaziah, and Athaliah, their mother. And then you've got Joash, and we'll see how all that fits together as we kind of go running through the... Um, what we're doing here. Um, let's go ahead and start with verse 1 of chapter 22. Remember, Jehoshaphat was a good king. Um, he, he, he wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything exactly as the way God had wanted to him. At one point, he entered into a really, really strange and, in my opinion, really dumb alliance with Ahab of Israel. And then the second biggest mistake I think that he made was in marrying one of his sons to Athaliah, a daughter of Ahab. So, um, verse 1 of chapter 21, when Jehoshaphat died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. So he died, and if we go back to um, second in 1 Kings 22, it says that he did not turn aside from doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. So he was a man that we have called a good king. He did seek to try to follow and do the things of God. Did some things that were wrong, learned about from those, and then didn't, didn't repeat those. <clears throat> so he, he died, and he's buried in the city of David, and his son Jehoram became the next king. Jehoram was the oldest of all of his sons. Um, you look at uh, verse 2 and he tells us, Jehoram's brothers, the other sons of Jehoshaphat, were Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, and Stephatiah. All of these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So you got five other sons who are part of the line of David. Okay. Remember, when we're looking at Judah, the southern kingdom, the kings are those that are going to be in the line of the Messiah. So if they're related to David, then that's what we want to, that's what we're being told through here. So now you've got Jehoshaphat has passed away. The next in line is Jehoram and his five brothers, all of whom are descendants of David. Um, and this is what you see, if, as you watch what's going on in, in the kings and in, in, in Judah especially, Watch what happens to the line of David. Because this is critical. If Satan could wipe out the whole line of David so there could be nobody else who could claim to be a descendant of David, then the prophecies would be null and void. Keep that in mind as you read about the kings. And so all these guys are all there. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat. Their father had given them valuable gifts of silver and gold, costly items, and also some of Judah's fortified towns. So Jehoshaphat's no dummy, right? He's got a son that he actually for a period of time was co-ruler with. For about three or four years, they're saying, at the end of his life, he and Jehoshaphat reigned together. So Jehoshaphat wasn't just thrown into this. He was trained. He was ready. The other sons his father knew could have been a problem, he supposed politically. So what does he do? He gives them gifts. He gives them 
different cities to be in, cities that are fortified, so they can go and be rulers in all of these different cities, like a gov- like not governors, but like mayors and that kind of thing. And and they would be out of the way so that Je- so that their brother Jehoram wouldn't think that they were watching over his shoulder trying to take his job. Okay, and so Jehoshaphat's very wise in doing this. Um, so he designates them, and, and then he designated Jehoram the the next king. Verse 4, but when Jehoram had become solidly established as king, we don't know how much time that could, that is. His father died, he was buried. It could be a period of time as he kind of renews things and gets things going the way he wants. But he gets things established as king and he killed all his brothers and some of the leaders of Judah. So now, again, you're down to one surviving heir who's in the line of the Messiah. Okay, that's that's it. And and, and you, you think about that. If you think it in terms of the line of the Messiah, it changes a little bit in what you think about what's just happened. But he's killed off his brothers. He sees them as competition, and he basically says, there's absolutely no way you're going to compete with me. You won't have a chance. And so he kills all of them. All of the opposition, in his opinion, has is, is now been taken care of. Um, verse 5 tells us that Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. Now, again, you, you sit back and you think this through, and you go, wow. This is, this is Jehoshaphat's son. This is, the son, this is the, the son of a really good king, a king that helped him to learn what to do and how to, how to lead. And his first big thing that he does is kill all of his brothers. And, and the assumption is all of his brothers, their wives, and their kids. You're wiping out the whole family. You don't want anybody from those families to ever come back and challenge you. That's, that's the thinking of the, of the time frame and the barbarity of that kind of thing that happened in, in the land of Canaan and Israel in those days. Um, but Jehoram followed, verse 6, the examples of the kings of Israel. And as wicked and, and was as wicked as King Ahab, for he had married one of Ahab's daughters, Athaliah is her name. So Jehoram did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And so you, you get the picture, this is an evil man. Uh, you want to compare him to Ahab? Same thing. He did what Ahab did. He led the people into idolatry. He led them into all of the evil, disgusting, and horrible things that they did in Baal worship. It says the Lord did not want to destroy David's dynasty, which he would do if he destroyed um, Jehoram. For he had made a covenant with David and promised that his descendants would continue to rule, shining like a lamp forever. And so... Here we got it. You know, the wicked King Ahab, and he's married to one of Ahab's daughters, and Jehoram does what's evil in the, side, in the eyes of the Lord. Um, I can't stop and think about executing all of your brothers, all their families, all of their kids, all for your own self. Now, into this time frame, something very unique happens. Elijah sends a letter only time we hear of Elijah even writing a letter, much less sending one to somebody. Remember, Elijah's in the northern kingdom. He's a prophet to Samaria and all the kings up there. He's the one that took on Ahab and all of those families. He's the one that prophesied those things against the kings of the north. 
But he sent a letter to Jehoram. And this is what he says, starting in verse 12. Then Elijah the prophet wrote to, to Je, wrote Jehoram this letter. This is what the God, the Lord, the God of our, our ancestor David says. You have not followed the good example of your father Jehoshaphat or your grandfather Asa of Judah. Instead, you have been as evil as the kings of Israel. Again, remember, this is a very unique circumstance. Elijah fought against Ahab and the prophets of Baal and everybody for just his whole ministry. And now he, he looks south and God directs his thinking to, to Jehoram and says, you need to, you need to tell this guy what's going to happen. And so Elijah says, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what's coming. And I think, the focus of Elijah's ministry was the northern kingdom, Ahab, the prophet, and, and Baal, and all that that was going on. On one level, because Jehoram had married Ahab's daughter, it might very well be that what Elijah was saying and what God was saying, this is an extension of Ahab's evil. And I'm going to step into that and prophesy against, against Jehoram. And so that's why he jumped into it. The Lord led him to do that. Um, <clears throat> he condemned him for rejecting the good examples of his father, grandfather. He said, you've done evil like your father-in-law Ahab. Um, you have been as evil as the kings of Israel. There's no difference between you and the kings of Israel. And so you've led the people of Israel into, into worshiping of, of Baal and idols. And so here, here's what he says. And here's the prophecy starting in verse 14. So now... The Lord is about to strike you, your people, your children, your wives, and all that is yours with a heavy blow. You yourself will suffer with a severe intestinal disease that will get worse each day until your bowels come out. Now, that sounds bad enough. I don't want to know anymore. (laughs) Uh, We do know that it takes two years for this very painful disease to take its effect. Okay, um, so Elijah prophesies. Okay, your your wives and children—they're gonna, you know—they're all gonna be killed and taken away. And sure enough, um, raiders come into Jerusalem and they take take all the kids, all the wives. Everybody's taken except for one. Um, <clears throat> they carry away everything of value. So they they sack Jerusalem. They take everything of value. Take away all his sons and wives. And only the one one of his kids is, is is left there, and then God struck Jehoram with this painful painful disease. Um, verse twenty tells us Jehoram was thirty two years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. So he reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. The last two of those years, he was in agony because of the uh, disease that God had put on put on him. He reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. Listen to the next phrase. This blew me away when I read it this week. No one was sorry when he died. No one. I mean, this is the king. And there's nobody in the kingdom that says, Oh, isn't that terrible? Our king is dead. They're all going, Wow, that's awesome. We dodged that bullet. Seriously, this is an incredible statement that's being made here. No one was sorry when he died. And then they say they buried him in the city of David, 
but not with any kind of honors at all. And it says, but not in the royal cemetery. So he was buried somewhere. Maybe he was buried in the plot where they buried beggars. But he was buried somewhere with no honors and no sense of anybody wanting to know who he is or what, where he was. Can you imagine being king for eight years and at the end of that time you die and nobody cares? I mean, there's nobody that cares that he's dead. There's an implication here. He was 32 years old when he became king, reigned for eight years. Nobody cares. He refused to bury him in the rug. I mean, stop and think about what that means. No one cared when he died. And I stopped, and the thought that came into my mind at that point as I was reading this week was, what a wasted life. What a wasted life. I mean, what did he do? Nothing. Nothing good. The things he did were evil, and God stopped him. He reigned for eight years, and then that was it. It was over with. No more. Instead of being like his father Jehoshaphat, with, he was his co-ruler for three or four years. And so he had watched his godly father after the mistakes he'd made. He came back and did amazing, wonderful things in, in Judah. And he watched all of that and watched his father lead. And, and his father encouraged him to lead in that way and to follow after, after God. He didn't. He decided to model his life after Ahab, the wicked king of the north. He was involved in all the hideous practices of Baal worship. How did the normal people of Judah react? <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody is sorry. What a waste. And I was thinking, in the time of the early church, thinking through the waste of life kind of thing again, there was a young rabbi who was very zealous for God's law. He was precise in his own devotion and precise in his obedience. No one could fault him and when it came to the law, and older rabbis looked at him and spoke of how far he would go, uh, that he might someday become the, the leader of the Sanhedrin. I mean, no, nothing was going to stop this guy. That's how good he was. Uh, he tried to just stop the followers of the Messiah, tried to destroy the early church, chased them down ruthlessly, and then suddenly he disappeared. And he was gone for a couple years. And when he returned, the young man had changed. He had given himself fully to become a follower of Jesus. And all of the rabbis who held him in such high esteem must have been shaking their heads and saying, What a waste. What a waste. What a waste of talent. What a waste of time. What a waste of, of a life. And yet, you know what? Paul had been redeemed. Had he stayed in the other life, that would have been a waste. But when God saved him and called him to be an apostle, Paul answered. His life was anything but a waste. And he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 7. And, and he's trying to encourage Timothy and helping him to think through the issues of what does it mean to look down the road and to live a life that, ma that matters. Verse 5, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Timothy, don't, don't let your emotions and don't let things carry you away. Be clear-minded in every situation. 
Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Again, said, hey, this is going to happen. It happens to me. You know where I am right now. And, and this happens to all of us. Don't be afraid of it. Work at telling others the good news. Don't forget that's our job. The gospel is our job. And fully carry out the ministry God has given you. What a great thing. What an encouragement to, to young Timothy to hear from the man who had brought him along and trained him and encouraged him. Keep on going, Timothy. Don't give up. This is not a wasted life you're embarked on. Keep on going. Keep on going. <clears throat> and then Paul says in verse 6, As for me, my life has been poured out as an offering. The time of my death is near. And so I was thinking about the contrast between a wasted life that meant nothing and a life that is poured out as an offering. And Paul says, that's me. My life has been poured out. Purposely poured out for the gospel and for the things of God. So my time of death is near. And he says, I'm getting, I'm being ready to be poured out completely. There will be nothing left when, when I go through this next part of my life. But I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have remained faithful. What an incredible thing to be able to say. Here's a man that traveled all over the place. And again, we have that wonderful transition from him as, as a scholar and a Hebrew rabbi who was, I mean, on the road to great things. And suddenly God says, this isn't for you. This is. Come. And he does. And he does amazing things for the gospel. And so Paul could look back on many things that had happened to him. And you've got those long lists of the dangers that he suffered, and things that he went through. But verse 6 makes it very clear. He didn't waste his life. He poured it out. He poured out his life for the sake of the gospel. Verse 7 says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have remained faithful. So that really, if you want to nail that down to, to, to three kind of separate thoughts... As I was thinking through this passage, even this morning, I was thinking, how do I, if I wanted to just sum this up uh, as a challenge for this year, it would be fight the good fight, finish the race, remain faithful. And we don't know what that will look like for each one of us, but we are all involved in this gospel we're all involved in the things of God, and we are called to fight the good fight. Not on our own strength, not by ourselves, but we're called to fight the good fight. We are called to finish the race, however long that takes. Maybe that race will end this year, maybe it won't. But we are to continue the race until such time as it is over. And that isn't over yet. And so we keep racing, we keep finishing, moving forward. And then in fighting and in the finishing, we remain faithful. We don't give up. We don't quit. We don't say, oh man, I didn't count on that. We say, okay, Lord, with your strength, I can do this. Help me. So this has become my my challenge this year. Every year I have something 
that I take and make it mine. And it's this, fight the good fight, finish the race, remain faithful. I want that to be what I look at and think about and what I pursue in all the things that I'm involved in. And I leave that challenge there for you as well. And so one of the people that we saw that had a wasted life was Jehoram. Let's move on to chapter 22. And we're going to meet a couple more people. Then the people of Jerusalem made a Hazaya. He's also called Jehoahaz in, uh, in the books of Kings. Ahaziah, Jehoram's youngest son, only remaining son as well, if you remember, uh, as king, since the marauding bands who came with the Arabs had killed all the older sons. And he also had no brothers because he made sure they were all gone. So Ahaziah's son of Jehoram reigned as king of Judah. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem one year. One year. His mother was Athaliah, who was Ahab's daughter. Ahaziah also followed the evil examples of King Ahab's family. Can you imagine? His mother, Ahab's daughter, encouraged him in doing wrong. Stop and listen to that sentence. You've got a king here, a young king who's just come to the throne and come to the throne through horrific and awful circumstances. And here he is, the king of Judah, and his, his mother is encouraging him to do wrong, to do evil. That's who she is. That's what she's all about. And that's where she wants to take her son. No wonder he only reigned a year. So he did, verse 4, what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Ahab's family had done. They even became his advisors after the death of his father, and they led him into ruin. Stop and think about this. So here he is, kings depend on advisors, kings depend on people to help them, and, 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 and you know he was stuck into the, the kingship just because he's all that was left. There's no one else but him. He's the only one in the line of David. Um, and so, you know, this is it. You know, he, he's got to make it as king. And so he's in there as king. But the only people around him are a daughter of Ahab and all these people who want him to do that kind of evil. And so he's surrounded by people who are evil, encouraging him to join in. Come on, this is the way you need to lead. This is where we need to go. Let's worship Baal together and impose that on the people. Now, it's in this time frame that Jehu, king of Israel, and Jehu was the one that um, God told Elijah to anoint to take over uh, uh, the northern kingdom and to really, in a sense, destroy Ahab and his whole line. Well, it took a lot of years for that to happen, and Elisha was actually the one who passed on that command and those instructions uh, but Jehu, king of Israel now, the northern king, was obeying God as he's he's basically destroying everybody who was ever related to Ahab. And Ahaziah <clears throat> decided he was going to go visit his relatives in the northern kingdom. He's discovered, and he's brought before Jehu, and Jehu executes him because he's related 
to Ahab. Verse 9 tells us that Ahaziah was given a decent burial because the people said he was a grandson of Jehoshaphat, a man who sought the Lord with all his heart. So he's killed up in Samaria. They must bring his body back down to Jerusalem. And the people there, he'd only been king for years, so they obviously didn't see what he was heading down the same path as Jehoram. But they decided to give him a burial because of his grandfather, who had been a man who followed God. But look at the next statement. But none of the surviving members of Ahaziah's family was capable of ruling the kingdom. He had sons of his own who were part of that line of David who could have come into that throne, um, but none of them were capable. We're going to pause there just for an implication, and then we'll finish up after that. Now again, verse 3, Ahaziah followed the evil example of Ahab's family. Um, His mother encouraged him in evil. I just, again, that just blows me away. And he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And I, I thought to myself, what chance did Ahaziah have? His mother was Ahab's daughter. His father was involved in the evil practices of Baal and married to Athaliah. And Ahaziah's mother encouraged him to do evil, uh, to do what was wrong in God's eyes. Was Hey, yeah, no, God, who cares about what he thinks? Who cares about the law? Who cares about the temple? It's Baal that we're worshiping, and this is where we need to go. And so his mom just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, encouraged him to do what was wrong, encouraged him to do what is evil. And I remember reading that earlier this week, and I thought, what a waste. What a waste. She was training him to waste his life in pursuit of evil. Think about that. She was training her son, the king of Judah, to waste his own life in the pursuit of evil. That's what she was doing. And one thing we can take home from all of this, if we don't want to waste our lives, we need to choose carefully the things and the people that impact our lives. This is the, the statement I'm making. We are impacted and influenced by people and things that we focus on. We are impacted and influenced by people and things that we focus on. Now, It's all about where and how we spend time. It's all about where and how we focus our minds. Many years ago, I had a job in construction, and um, there are a few of the few of the guys that I worked with were absolutely filthy in the things that they would say, the stories they would tell. Uh, I was very uncomfortable with that, and many times I'd see them coming, and I just would go a different way. And uh, it was one of those things that, that I, you know, sometimes I had to just make my choice. I can't be sitting here having lunch with all these people because this is impacting me in a way that is not what I want. And so I had, to, in many cases, I just separated myself away from that. First Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, it's not just bad company. It's, you know... If I spend 20 hours a day doing social media, whatever version of that I do, I'm being impacted. I'm taken in. Uh, if I listen to things that are of a certain nature, I can, I can uh, again, be focused on things I shouldn't. Uh, I can play video games or TV shows that I binge watch. All, all of the things that we get so focused on for periods of time 
can be dangerous for us if we're not careful. Now, please, please don't hear me saying that, that there's anything wrong with watching a TV show that you enjoy. Uh, sometimes uh, I, I wait for a couple weeks and catch up on some episodes. That's okay. But what you focus on, that's, that's your choice. And how you focus on that and what you choose to focus on, those are things that you have to be really careful of. I think that we are impacted and influenced by the things that we focus on. Um, I was talking with someone just this week who said that <clears throat> they spend, I think you were saying, eight to ten hours a day on social media. And I thought, man, how in the world do you do anything? And, and yet that's the case. They're, they're involved in some things there, and that's their entertainment, and it's all the things that they look for there. Interesting, we had a good friend, uh, a good friend of mine taught school for over 20 years, and she told me that at one point she um, realized that as she was going to the teacher's lunchroom where they would kind of have lunch together, many of them, um, she would leave there every day and just feel terrible. I mean, just awful. And she realized that what was happening was there was a group of people in that lunchroom that were absolutely against everything. They were against the school, against the principal, against the curriculum, and you name it, they were against it. It was horrible. It was terrible. It all should be dumped. They should get rid of these people. And, and you know, even if she didn't enter into it, she was being impacted as she heard all this. And eventually she said, you know what, I can't, I can't do this. And so she decided to have lunch in her room, and another friend came, and eventually there was a a shift and the focus changed and that changed how they thought and how they felt about things but the minute they had all of that other stuff going on it just weighed on them so much and I think we just need to realize again be careful think carefully because all day long we're filling our minds with things and so we need to be careful what the content is it is important to take the time also to focus on the things of God Colossians 3 Verses 2 and 3 tell us this. Keep thinking about things above. That's the whole idea of keep on thinking. Keep on keeping on thinking about the things above, not the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so this is a challenge. It's not a challenge to say, okay, you have to sit down and read your Bible 22 hours a day. That's not what's being said here. What is being said here is, where's your focus? Who is it that you're looking to? As you're jumping in your car and you're going somewhere, are you, are you praying? Are you asking God to help you? Are you listening to something that will, that will encourage you and lift you up? Keep thinking about things above. Matter of fact, the NIV puts it this way. Set your minds on things above. And the New Living puts it this way. Think about, think about the things of heaven. And so if we want to keep from wasting our lives, one of the things we need to be careful of is how and what we focus on. Okay. Uh, again, that's that's a very personal thing. Everybody needs to work that through. There are some times when I've realized I've gotten out of balance, and and even though this is not a bad thing, I'm doing too much of this, and I need to back off and begin to do some other things. And so, I just want to leave those things as kind of a challenge. The third person that I want to just kind of talk about very briefly, we're talking about wasted lives and wasted lives of evil. Um, verse 9, Ahaziah was given a decent burial because the people said he was the grandson of Jehoshaphat, a man who sought the Lord with all his heart. But none of the surviving members of Ahaziah's family were capable of ruling the kingdom. So 
There are some people left, but none of them are able to rule the kingdom. They may be too young. Um, and so there's this tragedy. You've got a son, uh, who, or you've got someone who could rule, but apparently not capable of it, with probably age or whatever. And so Athaliah comes along, verse 10, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, when she learned her son was dead, because he had been killed up in Samaria, she heard her son was dead. Okay, this is, this is Athaliah. Her son is dead. She began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family. Think about who she's killing. She's killing grandkids. She's killing anybody related to her or to Ahaziah. And so she's just saying, hey, we're going to get rid of all of these people. All these people have got to go. That's evil. That is hideously evil. Um, Didn't want any grandchildren, any other relative, any other claim to the throne. She kills them all. And this is dark and bleak and evil as it gets. But there's a tiny, tiny ray of light in verse 11. But Ahaziah's sister, Ahaziah's sister Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahaziah's infant son Joash and stole him away from among the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. Okay, So she saved one. One who's in the line of the Messiah. Again, stop and think how many times the line of the Messiah has been challenged. How many times someone's tried to do away with the line of David. And yet, here we go. We've got one more. Joash is very young. And he is spared and saved. Again, think of um, this woman taking on evil Athaliah, hiding this little one and making sure that he's protected and cared for. And we'll see next week where that where that all goes. And what a waste. What a waste of three lives. Jehoram, Athaliah and Jehoram, husband and wife, and then son Ahaziah, all three of them sold themselves out to Baal and all of the evil practices that that meant. They wasted their lives turning away from the true God of Israel. And the way they keep wasting our, you know, they just kept going, wasting in their lives, and eventually their lives ended. Now, I just want to kind of end in an interesting, hopefully uh, challenging way this morning. Remember, we're thinking through, this is a new year for us, and, and my challenge this morning has been, I hope you didn't miss it, because my thought was, I want you to come away from this this morning saying, how can I keep from wasting my life this year? Um, came across a problem. Many, many of you probably heard this. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Read with me. Only one life 
twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then Lord, help me with joy to say together, only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life together. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, <clears throat> living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure to thy throne. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. May we avoid living in any way other than to say, I've got this life. I've got this time. Lord, take it. It's yours. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for the power in your word. Thank you for the examples that we find in Scripture that help us to see the things to avoid and things to do. Lord, I ask that you would encourage me this, this week, this year, encourage my brothers and sisters here today, that we would begin to think through what does it mean to live with you and only you as our focus. Lord, help us to really be able to say only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for you will last. We ask for your strength and for your guidance. In your precious name we pray. Amen.